all of the new Star Wars are like meh. Because like when I was a kid and real Star Wars came out, I was the right age for Star Wars then, and I internalized it. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. Um, we've finished our three-week series kind of talking about how you wrap up the year, how you can reflect on the year and prepare for the summer as a teacher. And we want to end the last few podcasts of our season talking about some of the most pressing issues, whether policy-wise or just discussion about what's going on in schools and what's connected to schools tangentially. And so one of them in the wake of the Santa Fe shooting um, and the Noblesville, Indiana shooting that has happened is returning to this um, school shootings debate and the guns debate in schools and guns writ large. And so to return for this conversation to help us parse through is Brian hey y'all, and Roberta to add another perspective that we didn't get last time is going to join us today. Hello. Um, so the first thing that I want to just inform viewers about because they may have been able to pay attention to everything that has gone on. Um, maybe not paid attention to everything that's gone on is kind of what's happened since Parkland. Um, what has changed and what hasn't. Um, and talking about maybe why some of those changes have occurred. So in four states, there have actually been legislation that has been passed. Three of those states, the legislation was passed in response to Parkland. Um, so Oregon has now passed a bill that has banned people convicted of stalking, domestic violence, um, or that are under some kind of restraining order from buying or owning a gun and ammunition. Uh, Rhode Island has instituted a red flag policy um, that gives law enforcement kind of authority to confiscate guns um, and remove firearms for people who have shown warning signs or have made threats of violence online or in person. Um, Florida has passed a bill which um, has instituted a mandatory three-day waiting period to buy a gun um, and raising the age to buy a rifle from 18-year-olds to 21-year-olds, as well as um, now creating a program for teachers who in schools can undergo specific state training to be armed in the school or if schools mm -hmm. opt out of that to receive additional funds uh, for social workers um, or other socio-emotional mm -hmm. um, faculty that might be able to help students to prevent this. And the state of Washington has banned the sale of bump stocks, which bump stocks are what allow guns to fire at such a rapid pace and are so deadly. Um, so that's a quick run through, but one of the things we were talking about before, Brian, was this idea that, you know, things like the ban on bump stocks, these like red flag policies mm -hmm. have been circulating around, but there's something about these shootings happening in schools and the role of school in the public imagination that really puts this forward. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a, um, in a society as large as ours, um, we have separation of labor, separation of responsibilities, and the school has some sort of a privileged place in our culture um, as um, a, a place of safety. Uh, we talk about it all the time as teachers within our classrooms of creating um, a safe and supportive environment where students can uh, take uh, emotional risks of like say volunteering or uh, sharing a particular piece of uh, writing or art. Um, and we, we talk quite a lot about uh, how to create environments that are open and welcoming and emotionally safe for our students. Meanwhile, we try to keep um, students 
safe in terms of health with things like banning peanuts from classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this notion of the innocence of the child and we need to create safe spaces for them to have opportunities to try things out and flourish. Um, And when we see a particularly a mass shooting uh, at a school site, it really cuts at the, the cuts to the quick when it comes to thinking of well how safe are our schools um, and um, particularly because the big mass shootings get such national attention um, I think it stirs the the it stirs the public in a way that sort of the slow drip of like like I hate to call it this but sort of like lesser school shootings um, that happen uh, routinely in the country mm. are so to the extent that the mass shootings focus public attention on a problem in our society um, then um, perhaps that that there's more opportunity for movement that said um, you know what we saw after Parkland um, with the Stoneman Douglas students and the advocacy roles that they took on had something quite different than what we saw uh, after Sandy Hook um, where even if you want to be sort of very cynical and split hairs about um, well high school kids they're closer to the real world so they need to be more ready to deal with like the the, the, the challenges that include you know uh, the, this kind of violence um, that the, the the slaughter of innocence that happened at Sandy Hook um, like seemed to not move the needle but it was I think not just the shooting at uh, Stoneman Douglas but the advocacy of the students that Mm -hmm. really started to move things so I don't know what that says about the conversation that's ongoing in American society but um, and I don't know if it's just more numbers more numbers more numbers but like we haven't heard really at at a large scale national way from students from Santa Fe in the same way Mm -hmm. Um, and we can tease out different reasons for that but I can't help but think that um, you know when we see Emma Gonzalez when we see David Hogue uh, Hogue I I don't know how to pronounce um, like there's there's a face to the to the tragedy there's a face for the change there's a real energy there build off this because I I think you're getting at something too and I want to put this question to you Roberta in that um, the video is actually of the Parkland shooter that um, I don't know if it was police took, if it was FBI took, following, you know, the shooting about why he did what he did, Mm -hmm. um, is in part is that, like, his name will now be known, Mm -hmm. right? So there's this media narrative about schools and the need for safety, but there also seems to be this grand reporting of these school shootings that are impacting youth and how they are viewing themselves within school, that possible alienation, this possibility for um, notoriety. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I don't know really know how to handle that because in some ways it seems necessary to cover because this is something that is greatly affecting our country. Yeah. But So I don't know if you maybe have some thoughts you can share on that, Roberta. Oh, just that I, I was really noticing the stark difference between the coverage of Santa Fe and the coverage mm-hmm. of Parkland. And I think to your point, Brian, part of it is maybe um, the students of Stillman Douglas were particularly eloquent mm-hmm. and particularly poised through um, training that they'd received through the debating programs mm-hmm. and um, very like access to a lot of high-level programs at their school. So they were quite poised and um, to, to engage the media and to articulately, articulately um, make their point. Um, but it also occurs to me that they didn't have a lot 
to compete with um, in terms of in the media. And that mm. Santa Fe um, happened at the same time as the royal wedding. And wow. there was a massive amount of, I found, I saw so much more mm -hmm. um, immediate coverage of the royal wedding than I did of the shooting in Texas. And th that was something that I felt was a little, uh, it, it was a moment for me to mm -hmm. recognize that like and, and that's not to uh, to knock the importance of I mean that's sort of that that's an that's an historic event um, and it's a global event and so like I completely understand that um, but it was quite striking to me to see that among those who had been killed in Santa Fe they had pictures of those kids supporting the kids from um, Stoneman Douglas and, and sort of like signs like we're with you and we're supporting you and um, in this tragedy it's but if I can jump on what yeah. you're saying because I think in some ways it's an indirect answer to the question that I asked you in the mm -hmm. sense that like the news is covering the news but it's also an entertainment industry yeah. and so the royal wedding might get more coverage because it's going to draw a larger audience yeah. than the coverage of this, well, which is, I mean, one, super messed up, but mm -hmm. I think adds a context to this conversation. Yeah, and there's a lot of, um, I think especially right now because of the climate that we're in, there's a lot of really fantastic original reporting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with four to five uh, cable channels um, providing 24-hour news, most of the, quote, news is actually news reporting on news. Right, so it's 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 the live reading of an article that was published mm -hmm. in a newspaper, right? It's the retelling of stories that have been told in other places, and then it has a reverberating effect, so that like once it's reported, once it's sort of like it it builds and builds and builds. Um, so I, so yeah, I think that like the news reports the news, but also it makes the news, yeah. um, and 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 then therefore how the news report, how the media reports mm -hmm. on these events is very important and um, my husband was telling me the other day that after um, Robin Williams um, committed suicide that there was actually uh, within that year there was a 10% increase in suicides in the United States mm. and um, it's because the media reported on it so much um, and did not follow sort of um, I think it's CDC guidelines around how to report mm -hmm. uh, suicide um, that it actually like reporting on it um, and giving a lot of attention to the manner in which he killed himself um, had the effect of making it uh, glori glorified. And that more pe people who were um, experiencing suicidal temptations, um, some, some of those people took their lives, to were more likely that. to enact them because of the, of the narrative. And, 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 and many of those outlets have sort of reported that, like, we won't do that again. Um, but it, so that, that was one of the things that's, that's kind of striking to me. But the other thing that's striking to me, just as you started kind of going through these policies, mm -hmm. is like, it's encouraging to me um, to see, um, but from a state by state level, and there's one way that we can put pressure on our legislators to make federal changes, but also, you know, we are a land of like local governments, mm -hmm. and to see local governments taking responsibility for local schools is something that I, I would feel really proud of and really happy about. But I'm troubled because I'm not sure how many of these policies actually would be preventative measures. Right. Um, especially because most of the, you know, I think about like Sandy Hook, you think about Parkland, I think mm -hmm. about, um, I was in Colorado teaching during mm -hmm. Columbine. Like these are all, um, these are all acts of murder that are being committed by 
children mm-hmm. or by very young adults who are just recently released from those schools that 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 some of these they're you they're not using their own guns mm-hmm. they're using ex- guns that are accessible to them by family members who may or may not fit any of these criteria um, and they're they're returning to their schools to enact personal um, grudges or to express hurt feelings or um, you know because they're not okay and I think that the the exterior of the problem the actual event um, is really just the the sort of outer shell of what the real problem is and that to me is about like what's going on in our schools and how Mm -hmm. are what are we doing with kids who aren't fitting in the mold what are we doing with kids who are isolated what are we doing with kids who are withdrawn what are we doing with kids who are uh, um, in quotes a little off mm-hmm. um, and and in what ways are we into are we helping to to um, bring them into the community or creating spaces for them and in what ways are um, they being more iso- are, are they becoming more isolated yeah I Brian I know you did some reading on this and so I want to get kind of your opinion on that but one thing that I want to just kind of use as a transition because I think it'd be helpful to come back to is this idea of the policy debate there there's guns Mm -hmm. then there's like what's happening in school and there's also the media and in a lot of places those things overlap and so as we try to unpack them and look at them it's it's necessary to do but sometimes there's a bleeding over and i i think that has to be on the forefront of our minds but brian you were talking to me about you know, this um, interview that you had read with um, a woman out of Texas who is kind of studying the, I don't want to necessarily use the word pathologies, but pathologies of school shootings, both that are very small school shootings to those that we would put on the scale of Stoneman Douglas or um, Columbine or Sandy Hook. Um, I, I guess, can you maybe add some of the perspectives or some of the things that you got from that reading that sure. might be helpful for people? Well, just to, uh, just to say for, for listeners, the, the article, the, our interview is coming from uh, the 74million.org. Um, and which it's is, linked in the show notes. It's linked in the show notes, great. Uh, <laughs> and um, is a, 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 an academic a researcher at um, University of Texas, Dallas, named Nadine Connell. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and uh, what she's doing right now is uh, crunching a ton of data mm-hmm. about school shootings that goes back that go the data go back to 1990 mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, it's a very interesting um, sort of uh, article from the perspective of how we do this research mm-hmm. um, there's a, a conversation about uh, uh, the methodology um, and how they're sorting through things and describing different kinds of school shootings um, and um, as she's a researcher into school safety in particular um, so that's how, how she got there but um, I think the, the sort of where things turn interesting, um, uh, I mean, where they get really to the heart of the matter in the interview is toward the end where um, the interviewer asks her um, what would be our most effective um, uh, changes we could make. Um, and she doesn't go to anything about gun control mm-hmm. policy at all. Um, and that makes sense to me um, because uh, uh, really, like, I think we should have some, some different gun control policy, but ultimately um, what she points toward um, uh, is uh, socio-emotional learning, mm-hmm. um, as Roberta brought up and as we brought up in our last podcast. 
this idea that um, uh, these, especially these large-scale, what they call, um, what, what uh, uh, Nadine Connell calls rampage shootings, mm-hmm. um, these um, mass shootings at schools are quite rare, um, yet they, uh, uh, they, they garner the lion's share of the attention, um, and um, they all have to do uh, with some sort of like disaffected person Mm-hmm. Um, um, taking this action for, you know, reasons. Um, the you know the the recent news about the the Parkland shooter, who, by the way, I'm really glad that I don't know his name and I do know Emma Gonzalez's name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, uh, the fact that he was his name would ring out um, uh, for some reason. Um, but this notion that uh, uh, we need to support students and uh, who are experiencing some sort of uh, um, socio-emotional challenges or troubles or traumas, um, whether those are things that are occurring, those, those traumas or troubles and challenges are happening in the school or outside, mm-hmm. um, the idea of how, like what our aims are as educators ought to include, explicitly include, and not mm-hmm. just be part of the hidden curriculum, how we help students flourish into um, humans who can um, uh, address their, or at least identify their challenges in a healthy way. Um, not to say that everyone leaves school totally equipped to, to sort through all their, their problems along the way. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, but the notion that um, we can um, help students at least see possibilities for therapeutic intervention when they feel troubled or challenged mm-hmm. um, and that we don't stigmatize um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the desire to have some sort of mental health support or some sort of socio-emotional support and that we um, uh, have students um, kind of generate the ability to, to at least have some self-knowledge about these things. So if I, I want to open this discussion up to both of you, but in some ways I think there's, there's a pushback and a difficulty in working through some of the things that you just said because, um, I mean, I think if I'm hearing you correctly right, that like these mass shootings that occur, they get so much more coverage that there's so much more pressure in our minds, but they are, in a sense, outliers mm-hmm. from particular behavior. Um, but then, you know, there was something that came out, I think it was two or three weeks ago, that actually there have been more deaths to school shootings this year than there have been for active service military, mm-hmm. and that it's more dangerous being in a public school. Um, there's this idea to support socio-emotional learning, but you have this weighing on the minds of students and teachers. And as teachers, you want to address it, but if you're addressing it, how do you address it? Mm-hmm. And so I think... Like, it's easy in some ways to say, like, yes, we need to better support students, um, and we need to think about that, and we need to put this in perspective, that this doesn't mean this is going to happen every day, but there's that immediacy of being in the school, knowing that it does seem this last year that those numbers are increasing, and as they increase, and as the coverage increases, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about sociological study that looks at orders of magnitude, Mm -hmm. and it's in relation to riots. So there's one person who might be truly upset about something and they'll pick up a stone and they'll throw it and they'll break a window. Mm-hmm. Um, and that person didn't need to see anyone else do it. That person's frustration yes. led it such. But there's one person who sees that person and mm-hmm. says, oh, well, that person's done it. 
now I will do it. Right. And that person might have an order magnitude mm-hmm. of yes. one and then another and so on and so forth. And so I just, I, I agree with you. We have to pay attention to the social emotional learning, but as a teacher, how can we get ourselves in a space that we are able to do that? Especially because we can't, as teachers, control policy. We can control right. what happens in our schools. Like, Yeah, or at least you can think about having influence over what happens in your classroom. Yeah. Right? I think for me, the number one thing is just remembering that it's, we have responsibility over 100% of our students. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. Um, it, when we have hard kids or when we have kids who are going through hard times, or when I just want to focus on my curriculum, like it can mm-hmm. be hard not to fo- not to feel like um, I just want to teach the kids who show me that they want to learn, mm-hmm. and and it can be hard not to you know it's exasperating, um, and and they're, they're ki- you know it's like no matter what you do, the kids just keep showing up in your classroom, <laughs> or they don't, right? right. Um, <clears throat> and it can become um, it can it can become really overwhelming as a teacher to feel like. I don't have control over when my students are coming to class. I don't have, I can't follow them home and make sure that they do all their homework and that they, I can't follow them out to recess and make sure that they're playing with their friends nicely. I can't, you know, sit with them on the bus and make sure that no one bothers them. And and so it's like we have um, a responsibility to our students when they're in our classrooms. And and I think trying to think through that, that, that accounts for not just our lesson plan, but also the ways in which we're building relationships with students mm-hmm. and identifying students who may be in need of um, additional support or intervention. Um, and, and then also, you know, I think that we have the, the other side of the spectrum as the teachers who are who feel over-responsible mm-hmm. for their students and, and, and hyper-responsible um, and therefore um, carry on the emotional burden and the emotional weight of each and every one of their students' own struggles. And mm-hmm. that is also a very um, difficult and dark place to be as, mm-hmm. a, as an educator, to feel like you're carrying all the baggage um, of, of the students that you're, that you're working with. Um, and our narrative, uh, our narrative in the media around like what teachers need to do um, in order to be considered good teachers presents a picture of the martyr. It mm-hmm. presents a picture of the teacher who has no life outside of their school life. Mm-hmm. Um, the teacher who gives up everything to um, be there for their kids. They, they pay for them out of their own pocket. They you know feed them, they close them, clothe them, they bring them home. They um, become surrogate parents. They spend every weekend with them. Um, they you know they, they try they, they work all hours of the day and night in very romanticized montages, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and finally, through their love and commitment, they win over all of the students in their classroom who become, you know, very successful at their writing or at their math or who, mm-hmm. you know, finally graduate. And, and it's because of all the things that I denied myself and gave to my kids. And um, that, that's a very romanticized you know, version of, of the classroom and it's not sustainable and it's a myth. Um, we can't do those things. And so I think the question that I ask and that I want teachers to be asking themselves is how can I recognize that I am responsible in my class for 100% of my students? I cannot decide that I'm not going to teach 10% or I'm mm-hmm. not going to teach the kid in the back of the room or that I'm not going to call home the kid who hasn't been here in three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. I am responsible to those kids. but. I, I cannot control them and I cannot take on 
the weight of every problem that every child has. Um, and I need to be able to say, here's where I start and here's where I, I, I need to stop um, so that I can maintain a sense of like personal identity and um, my own social emotion, social emotional health. Yeah, I, the only other thing I guess I'll add to that is I think also leveraging other adults that are possibly yep. in the building or, yep. or outside. I mean, if there's a student that needs severe help, like understanding that you are limited, you are mm-hmm. not trained as a psychologist, as a social worker, but helping that student get those services um, is crucially important. And so if I'm a teacher over the summer, I think one of the things that I'm doing is I'm saying that there needs to be more attention to this mental health what can I do, but what are the contact points or who are the contact people for the things that are beyond my capacity? And I think uh, another thing you just said stuck out with me, which is like, as teachers, we don't have control over policy. Mm-hmm. Um, true. Um, as teachers, we have control over precious little. Um, but um, we do have um, is uh, the ability to guide conversation in mm-hmm. the classroom and perhaps spark conversation. Um, and I think conversations about school shootings and conversations about gun violence mm-hmm. ought to be had in schools because then students as they become a voting age can mm-hmm. start to make well-reasoned political choices mm-hmm. based on their lived experience mm-hmm. so if you have a, a generation of kids who grew up having to go through metal detectors because of school shootings um, let's equip them in such a way to ask is this the best way to deal mm-hmm. with the problem um, and if they, you, you know, trusting their minds and their habits of using them well, um, come to this political or decision that, yes, these are policies we'd like to see continued, then there you have it. But if we have a generation who grow up going to school in armed camps and or at least lockdown, um, perhaps they say, no, this didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't the best way forward. How can we do it better than mm-hmm. the previous generation? And I think we see that with the, the, the Stoneman Douglas students. And that's, that's one of the things that I believe so strongly about the role of the teacher is that the seeds of their work um, actually bloom in 20 years, yeah. right? Um, the, when I was in the classroom, a, a lot of friends of mine in, in sort of like in corporate or business you know, would say like, oh, you're a teacher. Wow, that just must be so, this must be like a, so, um, Bennett, like what's, what's it like, glorif- like um, what's the, what's the turn of phrase like, um, like satisfying or like um, like so gratifying gratifying <laughs> took me a little while but I, I found it I found it that must be so gratifying and I was like well I mean yeah like I really like I really love my job and I really love my kids and the next day um, I saw scrawled uh, in marker on the brick outside of my classroom Miss Langer is a bitch <laughs> sorry the PG-13 content warning there um <laughs> And We're I was gonna have like, to get that explicit rating now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. Maybe that's what we should do. No, so yeah, so Miss Langer is a B. Um and and I was like, Oh no. Is this is this my gratifying job? <laughs> like I feel so great. I finally arrived. Like, yes, my work as a teacher, I finally I could like hit my hit my goals of being called nasty names because of you know my my high expectations and mm-hmm. uh, not letting kids off the hook for their homework or for you know paying attention in class um, but I think I maybe lost where I was going in the search for gratification mm-hmm. uh, well I, I think it seemed to me where you were going was um, this notion that like right now maybe a teacher in a classroom 
could be very frustrated yes. with um, the lack of uh, control or influence that mm-hmm. they have over the ability to keep their students safe. Yeah. But um, to the extent that their students who are 15 years or old now, 20 years yeah. from now, will be That's voting, where going. they will be running for office, That's right. they will be pushing the social okay. and political conversation around this mm-hmm. that, um, you know, let's see, yeah. let's see where that goes. It's um, a different... Oh, sorry, Brian, to your earlier point. And so not only see where it goes, but equip them. Absolutely. At the moment with Mm -hmm. the tools that you have at your disposal to impart to them to be able to engage in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if the teacher is a landscaper, um, they're not planting sod. They're planting tulips, right? And you plant them months and months and months in advance for them to grow much later. And and that's, I think, that that long-term goal. It may not always be gratifying now. Um, but the work that we're doing now is to actually change the world in 15 years, is to change the world in 20 years, yeah. and to keep that um, sort of long-distance uh, goal in mind um, and recognizing that the work that we're doing today has a direct impact on that, uh, I think is really powerful. Yeah. Um, and also, if I just could circle back to the, the interview that we, we started yeah. uh, with here, um, one of the interesting um, sort of... Um, the way they're working on their data uh, that, that I found interesting was they were keeping out um, anything, any shooting, any discharge of a firearm in a school that didn't result in an injury or a fatality. Mm-hmm. They did not classify that as a school shooting. Mm-hmm. Additionally, they only classified it as a school shooting if that injury or fatality happened to a student, not a staff member. Mm-hmm. So they're already cutting out a great number of accidental discharges mm-hmm. and discharges that don't result in injury or fatality to a student. Mm-hmm. So... Um, now we've got this kind of really like drilling down on you know how do we define school mm-hmm. shooting yeah. um, and this notion of um, arming teachers as a mm-hmm. response to keep students safe is, or resource officers or resource officers or police in the schools or police in the schools yeah. whoever um, so the idea of putting more guns in schools to try to cut down on school shootings well is it going to cut down on accidental discharge of firearms is going to cut down on um, uh, um, mistakes that are made with those guns Um, so that so more guns is more uh, opportunity for more mistakes and then now where 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 are we with all this Um, so um, uh, more hugs right right (laughs) well I mean that's the but the thing about that is is I think what we would see more of is the sort of the the slow drip news of like oh, a gun went off in a classroom and a child was injured, yeah. which probably happens. <laughs> we, we don't hear about all yeah. the time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, uh, this research's data show that. But, um, the, but when there's a big um, rampage event, a big mass shooting, we hear about all of that. And so really, like, what are we really reacting to here? What is the real challenge and the real problem? I mean, that's going to be an ongoing conversation and... We want our students to be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. We need our students to be part of that conversation. Yeah. So. Well, sidestepping the last part of what you said there, I mean, personally for me, I was uplifted by the idea of thinking about, you know, impacting the students in your classroom to shape the world yeah. that you'll see for the future. Um, and I know for me, that's the takeaway. Are there other final thoughts or key things that you all find important for teachers to maybe continue to think about as they go into their classroom in these times? Um. Well, I just had two thoughts, and one is like just a short anecdote. I was talking about my first year in teaching, and 
um, I'm Facebook friends with a current, uh, with a, a former student that I had in my first four years teaching. So he started ninth grade in my first year. And so then we, he, he finished in four years and, and that was my fourth year teaching. Um, and it was a, he was a, a, a great kid and worked hard. Um, but you know, you lose touch with your kids mm -hmm. over yeah. the years, but recently we reconnected on Facebook and, um, I've been so proud to see he is now a cop in LA. Mm -hmm. And as a police officer, he's been going, he's been working um, as on patrol um, during the day and then going to night school so that he can advance. And he just finished, you know, a round of his finals and, and things like that. And I said, oh, well, to work, get straight A's. I said, well, mm -hmm. you must have had a great high school teacher if you're <laughs> so accomplished now in your adulthood. But that, that ability to see our students um, as adults and as they go to imagine their potential, you know, I like to say that as teachers, especially when you're working with younger children, but even in high school, you know, at 14, at 15, at 16 years old, we cannot expect our students to see the potential in themselves first before we acknowledge it. We have to be the ones who see potential in kids and reflect that to them so that they can begin to see that they have that potential. And if we can do that, we can begin to sort of um, to pour and ignite that, um, to imagine where might you be in 10 years, where might you be in 20 years, and what can I do now to support you in that? Um, and I think just my, the second thing that um, I wanted to share was we had talked briefly, Matt, um, mm -hmm. before the pod, and we're trying to decide whether or not this is a topic that we wanted to bring up again. And the question is sort of like, what's changed since the last time we talked about this? And I don't know that much has. And it's mm -hmm. nice to see some policy changes have happened. It's nice to see some interesting conversations around the, um, the media and, and social-emotional health of our students. Um, but I think even if nothing has changed, our engaging in the conversation it, it says more about us than it does about anything else, right? And I think that for me, I feel pretty strongly that we can't sit quietly. Mm -hmm. um, we can't get used to it. We can't decide that one wasn't big enough to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so even if it is a short conversation where we say the same thing that we've already said mm -hmm. before to recognize that um, the lives of our students are precious and as adults and as educators, they're in our hands. Um, as teachers, we don't have a lot of control over policy, but we are voters, mm -hmm. and most teachers belong to a union, and a union is a political organization. Um, and so I think it's important for us, um, in, in, in even thinking about how, how I'm you know, framing my own sense of self around this context, um, to say that, that this is about speaking out into the world who we are in relation to what's happening. Um, and while it may or may not have any influence or people may or may not be listening, um, that, that at, at the center ed teaching team, we're saying this is important. Mm -hmm. It should be talked about. And, and the people um, whose lives have been lost and the people who have been affected by that um, should be acknowledged, uh, even if we have nothing new to say about, about the circumstances. And so I, I just I value the conversation and I value the time um, that it takes to, 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 to think about these things. Um, I think about a, a, a group of teachers I'm working with at a high school in the Bronx, um, who have put together a a, a, a big unit about uh, dystopia in literature, <laughs> and it's a pretty classic one, right? The, their central text is The Giver, and they've got other <laughs> you know, stuff going on. 
but um, uh, among the questions we were hoping the students would get a chance to ask and, and, and play with are, uh, what is a dystopia? Um, and is it possible to have a non-fiction dystopia? Um, and one of the comments that came up in a Socratic seminar um, was a student, and by the way, these are all ESL newcomers, so pretty rad that they're having this conversation. Um, um, and one of them, one student said, well, everyone thinks they live in a utopia until they figure out that it's actually a dystopia. And in this same group of, among the same group of teachers, we had a, um, a, a government teacher, and he was um, having students do projects on um, a Bill of Rights and different constitutional amendments. And I wondered, like, what if we had this, we brought together the conversation around the Second Amendment and gun policy with a conversation about utopia and dystopia. Um, does the Second Amendment um, help the United States become more utopic or more dystopic? Um, would be an interesting question to ask along the way. Um, and uh, what would it take for us to, to be more on the, the, the sunny side of that equation? Um, what is within our reach? Um, what is currently without our reach, but through an act of imagination and empathy, mm -hmm. we could start to look toward? Mm -hmm. And I think that is bottom, bottom line. Um, uh, the aims of education I've always set for myself, the cultivation of sort of empathetic mm -hmm. agency in the students. Um, like, what, what is our current state? What do we want our current, what do we want our state to be? and what is possible for mm -hmm. us down the line. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, all of that is really just the work of education mm -hmm. and bringing, helping the next generation flourish mm -hmm. and take, take us where they want mm -hmm. us to go. Yeah. So, <sighs> the Beautiful arc is long. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, but it turns short justice. Yeah. Roberta, Brian, thank you so much for your time. And we'll be back in your feeds next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys.